Episode 1110, Ethical Snobbery. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Christian, bringing you theology at warp speed. I'm Matt Anderson. And I am Ben DiBono. We're back. We're back, and I was looking forward to this episode until over on some of our Patreon episodes you referenced the content, and it seems like I'm just going to get made fun of again. I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, maybe a little bit, but I, I, I think you'll be okay. All right. That sounds good. Listeners, if you want to hear more about Ben's or more of Ben's thoughts beyond here on the main feed, go to patreon.com forward slash the sci-fi Christian. All right, Ben, give it to me. What, I mean, what did I do wrong? No, no, this isn't about you at all. Okay. Like I, 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 not, I don't even recall what I said that gave that impression, Okay, but outside of just the fact that it's going to be, you know, my endorsement of, of my snobbery. <laughs> Uh, which does usually wind up with you in the crosshairs. So I guess from that perspective, you might be in some danger, but yeah. you're not you're not the intended target of this episode. So this episode uh, has come about by combining a couple of different ideas. So people who are, are longtime listeners will know that I, I take quite seriously the idea of aesthetics when it comes to uh Anything we're talking about here, books, movies, whatever. In other words, all art is subjective. Shut up. It's not. You haven't actually thought through that statement. Like, that's such a dumb statement when you actually spend more than 30 seconds thinking about it. So, I, I you know, I really despise um, that very common sentiment. In fact, it's so common that I think it's just taken as axiomatic uh, by a number of people these days. And, and nothing could be further from the truth. Like if you actually pull apart the idea that all art is subjective, it's just a matter of taste, you wind up saying a lot of really dumb things, you know, things that are just obviously not true you know that that my stick figure drawing uh is of the same value as the sistine chapel or for that matter that pornography is of the same value as the sistine chapel and and from an aesthetic perspective and of course neither of those is true the sistine chapel is beautiful in a way that neither of those other things to the extent they can even be deemed art are um the sistine chapel is also more beautiful than any of the things we would consider as as valid art. Uh, you know, I, I recently, and this is a great time to endorse it while also throwing it under the bus mildly, but our, our friends, the Rainies, have written a couple of books. Uh, book two in the Flight of the Angels series, Hornet's Nest, out now in audiobook, read by yours truly, Ben DiVono. That's right. I highly recommend it. Wow. I recommend it so much I read it uh, for the audiobook, <laughs> not just read it for myself. Well, you read it for yourself. I read and... it for myself and then read the audiobook, so go check it out. You want to talk about great worthwhile art, that's one. But it's not the Sistine Chapel. Right. Like, so obviously we're able to make aesthetic judgments that any reasonable person, in, including, I imagine, the Rainies, even on their most uh, egotistical of moments in their lives, would, would concede that point. And if you say, well, you can't compare, you know, a painting to a book. OK, well, let's compare the Rainies to Moby Dick. You know, I'm, I'm going to take Moby Dick with all love to the Rainies. Uh, on the other hand, I, I would take the Rainies head and shoulders over any of the number of the books that have been read on the 372 pages podcast as an example the point is you can make aesthetic calls there 
is such a thing as beauty. There is such a thing as uh, good art and bad art. And when you say that there's not, you're saying something very, very stupid. You're also making a statement, I believe, that has vast theological and philosophical implications that most people don't stop and think about anything like that. You know, if you want to say that all art is subjective and just a matter of personal preference, uh, you're actually making a statement that has a lot to say about the entire Christian liturgical tradition, which has been very wedded to the idea of aesthetics and is centered on the idea, and this isn't just Catholics, but believe it or not, Protestants, this is in your rich liturgical traditions as well, maybe you just need to rediscover them in some cases, is that aesthetics has the capability of lifting us to God, I mean, pointing us to God in a profound way. So aesthetics is uh, a, a matter of great worth, and this is where I am proudly a snob. Because if snobbery means the defense of that and the idea that some things are not worth your time or at least worth less of your time or at least less worth your time than others, then I'm a full-throated snob and will remain so through my whole life. I, I, I'm actually quite invested in the idea. Uh, that art is has has actual meaning to it. If if it doesn't, I think we've destroyed ourselves in a, a meaningful way. You know, right after this, our next episode up in the main feed, uh, we're going to be doing a deep dive on the Iliad over in our Patreon extra feed, which you can subscribe to at thesci-fi-christian.com/slash-patreon. I'm doing all sorts of great endorsements it's close. It's here. It's patreon.com. Slash oh, the sci-fi Christian. Well, I, but you're on I the right track. Made it there. Thank you. Uh, so for three dollars a month, you can you can read uh, through the Iliad with us and get everything else in the in the lowest tier of our extra feed over there on Patreon. So we're going to talk about the Iliad. We're going to go through book by book in depth and do a, a in depth read through of the Iliad. And why are we doing that? Well, we're doing it because the Iliad is uniquely valuable for Western civilization, for the human artistic experience. It has value to us that we don't get other places. It has a great, unique aesthetic value. So that's why we do this. And if it's of the same value as, say, Fast X, or whatever the latest Fast and Furious movie is, then there's really no point in doing anything that we do here. We should just pack it up, because that's just an absurd world to live in. So that's where I'm a snob. Okay, but, but there's a type of snobbery I'm not on board with, and it's the type of snobbery that sort of walls itself off from anything less than, and that's what I would call unethical snobbery. And I I started to think about this. I'm going to clear my throat. <clears throat> Recently when I was reading some of the online commentary around Oppenheimer, which was a film I was a big fan of, and I'm a fairly big fan of Christopher Nolan. And Christopher Nolan has a unique uh, reputation on the internet these days because you kind of have two groups of people. You have people who consider him the greatest filmmaker who ever has or ever will live, which, of course, he's not objectively not and then you have people who are reacting against that and are crapping all over anybody who is a a christopher nolan fan and this is the you know the fight that takes place on on the internet whenever one of his films comes out or is discussed 
And so you wind up in this weird culture where I feel like I'm looking at the people who should be my people who are saying, listen, I know you think that Interstellar is the greatest movie ever made, but you haven't actually watched any film that was made before the year 1995. So maybe you want to just slow your roll on that a little bit because there's this whole other world out there that you aren't privy to, and you're actually saying something very, very dumb. Okay, so I feel like I should be on the side of those people. But instead, what I wind up with is a situation where I evaluate the argument, and they're not quite saying what I just said. They're really saying that Christopher Nolan is terrible, and you know, you're know an idiot for enjoying him, and all of this, you know, this kind of snobbery that I feel throws the baby out with the bathwater. And so I wound up in this position where I'm reading this whole online discourse and thinking about it, and I'm realizing we need uh, a ethical snobbery movement. Hmm. Yes, that says to people who have maybe sat down and watched a Christopher Nolan movie, and all they've ever watched before is Marvel. You know, I'm sorry. I guess you are gonna. This yeah. is where you're in the crosshairs. <laughs> you know, all they've ever watched is, is Marvel movies, and they, they, they wander into Oppenheimer, and they realize, holy crap, there's something going on here that isn't going on in She-Hulk while well, she's out there twerking with Megan the Stallion. Like, wow, there's something deeper happening here. And then, you know, they start, somebody starts going on that thread, and, and they start watching Christopher Nolan, and then they start realizing, wait a second, there's some thoughtful ideas in Interstellar, and they, there's some really interesting things going on. And wow, there's some cool narrative techniques taking place in Inception. Holy crap, I've never seen anybody like Christopher Nolan before. And he's amazing. You go on the internet to share your your newfound love and you get crapped on because you don't know what you're talking about. Christopher Nolan's not that great. That's There's a level of snobbery there that I can't endorse as a certified snob, right? And it's the snobbery that looks at people who are kind of trapped in the film bro gravity well, by which I mean they've discovered Nolan and Tarantino and Jordan Peele and you know David Fincher and a few of these other auteur but still very popular directors. You could maybe put Denis Villeneuve in there now that he's coming more onto the scene. And haven't realized that there's a broader world out there but have realized that there's something there that is of greater value than other Hollywood fluff. And in opposition to my fellow snobs who want to squash that and see these people as people who should be derided, I actually see a, a seed there that I want to water and help encourage to grow, so to speak. Meaning that... If you have reached the point where you can say that Christopher Nolan and Oppenheimer or Tarantino and Pulp Fiction or David Fincher and uh, Zodiac is greater art than Fast X, now I've got something I can work with. Now we're in the right conversation and we can actually start to walk our way through what that means and and uh you know what else you can go on from there it's a building block for a entry into 
larger cinema and larger art. It's the beginning of a conversation that I can't have with people who are just walking around saying, well, all art is subjective and it's just my personal preference. So I just like watching giant blue space lasers blow things up. I assume that's what's still happening in Marvel movies. I haven't watched one in years. Thank you. Uh, and, and, you know, that's just my preference. If you like, you know, boring talking movies like Oppenheimer, like I don't know exactly who Logan Paul is, but I see his name on the internet sometimes and he apparently had a reaction to Oppenheimer where he said he walked out of it because it was just people talking. It's like, if they, you know, that's your preference this is my preference they're equally good it's like no they're not and so to the extent that my film bro friends are saying no they're not i feel like i found a kindred spirit and somebody that i can actually work with and somebody who i want to help to maybe say okay you loved interstellar you think interstellar is the greatest film that ever existed why don't we watch 2001 and you can start to see some of the corollaries to that why don't we watch solaris get you into some of the foreign language like you can see there's entry points into this wider world that's out there that once you have somebody sold on the idea that art isn't just a matter of taste and preference and what makes me feel good we actually have something we can build on so i started to put together with all of this and this isn't complete by any means so take this as just some assorted thoughts on what what would a code of ethics for the ethical snob look like you know what that would capture both sides of this like we want to maintain that there are standards and with that we do want to confront the idea that no christopher nolan is not the greatest artist who ever lived but you've also seized on something really good by recognizing that there's something in his art that is speaking to deeper ideas than than maybe transformers uh here come the beasts or whatever the latest one was <laughs> called. So th this is my stab at that with a code of ethics. All right. So number one. Wait, can I do the numbers? Yeah, I don't know how many I have. Let's number see, I, one. I, I think I have six. All right. Uh, we reject all attempts to assert that aesthetics are relative. So we, uh, uh, so we have to agree. We have to that agree. Art is not subjective. Correct. Okay. We, we reject the relativistic interpretation of aesthetics. All right. Number two. We assert that aesthetics is not, A, measurable as a science, meaning that, okay, that just because we're saying it's not subjective doesn't mean that we can, like, pull out a ruler or boil it down and say you have, you know, Oppenheimer has... 15 megajoules of as uh, aestheticness in it and, and the Sistine Chapel is 15,000. Like, that's not how that works. B, singular in its aim, meaning that aesthetics can do multiple things, has different goals, or C, primarily about its value, meaning not its value in a transcendent sense, but it's commercial value or pragmatic so it's not primarily about um what it can get you okay what do i get out of it that's not the main question you should be asking with aesthetics all right number three aesthetics is an endless discovery of the infinite and it is objectively oriented by which i both want to reassert the objective character but then also point out that aesthetics is, pri and this is one I probably need to think about the wording a little bit more, but it's primarily 
oriented beyond itself. It is object oriented. Say more before I move on. I want to make sure everybody's on the same page. So. Yeah. So like uh, aesthetics, that's just a cul-de-sac is of limited value. Um, for example, take modern art. I'm going to splash something on and you're going to walk through it and say, hmm, I like that because it makes me think of blah, blah, blah. Um, unlike a lot of people, I'm not going to say that there's never any value to that. But it's a limited value because when I walk up to modern art paint splatter and I stare at it and then it provokes whatever thoughts it happens to provoke in me. Maybe that's valuable and maybe I get some insight out of that, but it's really just me. Like it's just helping me reflect on myself. I'm not saying there's zero value on that, but art primarily is not about that. Art is primarily oriented to objects beyond itself. It is, uh, you know, the Sistine Chapel. Part of what makes the Sistine Chapel great is that it orients you to God. It is oriented towards the transcendent. All okay? right. Number. You know, okay. and you can see this to, to lesser degrees. It's not that all art is going to be in that direction. Uh, but, you know, part of what makes Oppenheimer great as a film is that it is oriented towards our history. It is oriented towards ultimate questions too of what what does power mean in a modern context now what is our human responsibility to that it asks questions beyond itself and explores things beyond itself that are worth exploring okay that was good number four we welcome all pursuing aesthetic truth regardless of their place in the journey oh okay this is the one you're saying be nice to people who are new to the journey yeah so everybody from the film bros to those who say, you know, uh, Transformers 1 and 2 are the only movies I've ever seen, and they're amazing, but I think Transformers 2 is a little bit better, and I think that's actually true. Like, if that's the case you want to make, you know, okay, you know, we're, we're going to have a short conversation, but there's at least a conversation. This is actually why I found myself, as I was writing this one up, thinking about uh, especially early on in the podcast when you, you'd come back liking some utter piece of dreck that you had gone to see. And I'm, I'm sorry, I know I'm being mean. And I'd ask you, why did you like it? And you'd say, I don't know. I just liked it. I think what I was trying to ask was this, like, what is it you're seeing there? You know, because part of what we establish when we say that uh, art isn't measurable, aesthetics isn't measurable, is if we were to have a, a a debate about what's the greatest film of all time, and of course I'm going to say 2001, and at the top of the sight and sound poll right now is Gene Dealman, and previously it was Vertigo, and previously to that is Citizen Kane. Okay, those are four great films, four of the greatest films ever made, no question about that. I can't objectively, by scientific measurement, say what, why one is better, that one is definitively better than the other. So there's no lab we can go to and distill it down into a vial and, and measure out which one of those is better. What we can do is some people would say Vertigo, some people would say Gene Dealman, I'd say 2001, somebody says Citizen Kane. Everybody who would take that position for their respective film 
maybe sees things in it that the rest of us don't. Okay. Or let's go even to more, a more extreme example, uh, and say that you've got, you know, the 10 greatest films of all time on a list and, and you watch t- all 10 of them and some you love more than others, but maybe there's one you just hate. You just don't get like not just hate as in didn't enjoy, but like what in the world do people see in that? Well, a valuable exercise to do then is to start to read what other people have said about that. What did they see there? Because if part of what art is, is a prophetic, it has a prophetic role in the human experience, meaning that it, the prophet helps us to see. The prophet is one who sees farther. So then the artist is a prophet to the extent that he or she is helping humanity to see things they would otherwise not see. Okay, so then for myself, uh, if I confront something that other people are seeing and saying this is great and I don't see it, I want to know what I'm not seeing. Okay, so that's where it's like we're at different places in our journey. So that's why to go back to those conversations, like I, on the one hand, you know, yes, I'm trying to back you to your corner and say, okay, no, there's nothing actually all that valuable about whatever it was you happened to watch starring The Rock this week. On the other hand, like maybe there is something that you saw. I want to know what it is. Like that's the right we're all at different points on that journey and it's not a linear journey. We're all seeing different things. It's it's communicating with each other on that. Number 5. Similar to that, we reject all claims to have arrived at final aesthetic answers. There's not an ending point on here. You know, we were talking, I don't know if it was on an episode or outside of it. It was probably on the book poster. It's like a year ago and I made the comment, you know, well, I'm not that well read. And you kind of rolled your eyes at me. Yeah. And I actually meant it when I said it because I don't feel that well read. Because no matter how well read you get, there's somebody out like there's part of the the effect of becoming more well read or well you know viewed with films or whatever or you know music or art or you realize how much else there is mm-hmm. out there. Like part of what makes film bros film bros and why so many of them kind of get stuck in the Tarantino Nolan ecosystem and never go beyond that is that they go far enough to see greatness, but not far enough to see how much else there is that's great. You know, they don't see that there's these giant unexplored fields out there. And it's like part of what happens is, okay, uh, like for me, uh, eight years ago, I'm going to start watching Criterion. Well, that sounds kind of fun. And then you start to get into that and you realize, well, wait a second now, you know, this is opening up whole areas of art I didn't even know existed. I never thought about Iranian cinema. Do they even have movie cameras in Iran? I couldn't have told you. It's like, oh, Iranian cinema is a thing. Oh, the Czech New Wave? Oh, I kind of like the Czech New Wave. What's the Czech New Wave? It's like all of a sudden you're you're like all these doors keep opening to you, and the effect of reading or or watching more ought to be uh, that that you start to realize how much you haven't seen or read, and how much ultimately how little you ultimately will see or read and that's part of the mark of a unethical snob is the unethical snob behaves as though they have arrived at a place and can sit in judgment upon others 
Okay, that's good. All right, that brings us to finally number six. Yeah, it's number six, kind of a capstone here. We recognize beauty can be individually revealed, but reject aesthetics as the mere exercise of preference, meaning that you might see something I don't. It's individually revealed. Okay, so we can have individual experience with that. And I don't even like the word experience there. We can see individual things in a work of art or in separate works of art. But that doesn't mean we're back to preference. You know, it means that, no, you're actually seeing something. Like, we both are fans of Tree of Life. You know, but when I recommend it to you, maybe you would have watched it. You could have watched it and come away and, eh, don't like it. Actually, you did have that reaction with Thin Red Line. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Okay. Same director. Same director. Uh, and part of that's that you don't really like war movies. But whatever. For whatever reason, you can't see, or at least haven't seen through one viewing, what I see in the thin red line. That's not about preference. Preference might impact that. You have a strong preference to not watch war films. Okay? I don't have that same preference. So that preference maybe makes it easier for me to see some things, but that doesn't mean that we're, we're saying preference is all there is. I'm actually seeing truth there that maybe you can't in the same way. And for other things, it goes in the opposite direction, right? It's like, there's an individual aspect to this, which is why we have to get in and share our experiences and, and read together and, and, talk about what we've seen and read and and sometimes violently debate it you know like is hamlet or uh henry the fourth the better play well there's no objective way to prove that in a lab it's just preference no it's not okay well but how are the what's the point of having the debate if you can't prove it like i think it's hamlet somebody else is going to say henry the fourth but by arguing that, by talking about it, by discovering what each other sees, like if you were arguing Henry the Fourth, what do you see in there where you say it's greater than Hamlet? What do I see in Hamlet where I say that one's the top? By having that fight, we, we can actually arrive at truth. And that's what the ethical snob is about. So the ethical snobbery, in a nutshell, is about the, the mutual journeying towards truth and aesthetics uh, – regardless of where we are in that journey. All right. That's great. So I'm an ethical snob. I don't remember if you said this at the beginning, so forgive me if I'm forgetting, but did you tell us what what made you want to do this list? I can't remember. Yeah, it was uh, it was reading the Oppenheimer discourse. Oh, yeah, that's online. right. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting how your experiences create these thoughts, and all of a sudden we have this whole episode with some new rules to follow. Yeah. So... Good work, Ben. Thank you. All right, listeners, that's all from here. I'm Matt Anderson. I'm Ben DiBono. And we're the Sci-Fi Christians signing off. Goodbye.